Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being here today and for all of you who are worshiping with us online. We are so grateful for you. Welcome here. And especially for those that this is your first time. Yay, God, I don't know how you found us, but I am thankful that you did. And we're glad that you are a part of the service. And for all of our campuses in person, we're so grateful for every single one of you that you've come out today. We're in a series entitled Encountering God Day by Day. We don't want to just encounter God ever so often or on a blue moon. We want to encounter God every day of our life. This is the whole idea of Christianity that teaches that we can have a personal relationship with God. Do you realize no other religion teaches that? All other religions say, oh, God is so far out there. You can't actually know him. You can't have a relationship with him. But Christianity says, oh, no, and it's because of Jesus. No, you can know God. He can be your heavenly father. You can have a relationship day by day with God. And so we're talking about how is it that we can. And there's five key ways in which we can encounter God day by day. You got to start at the throne every time. In other words, worship is one of those ways in which we encounter God day by day. Now, part of worship is singing. We've just done it. And it is simply singing back to God, his nature, the characteristics of his, of his uh, nature and, and uh, who he is and what he has done for us and saying thank you to him. That's what praise is. But one of the ways that we can praise is maybe by taking one of the Psalms and reading that Psalm to him that talks about his nature and the, and the traits of his life and how he has blessed and cared for us. But another way in which we can praise is simply by telling God how much we love him. And oh God, thank you for all that you have done in my life, how you have blessed me, how you've been there for me. And oh God, I acknowledge you are all powerful. You are great and mighty. When we express these kinds of things to God, we're praising and encountering God always starts at the throne. Then Pastor Juan Carlos, a couple of weeks ago, talked to us about a second way, and that is through prayer. And one of the things he said I thought was so great, that, that outside of praise, every other aspect of prayer really has an ask to it, an A-S-K. It is really about asking God. The Bible says, you have not because you ask not. God is saying to us, ask that I might answer your request. He's not a genie. He doesn't say yes to everything. He tells us, I'm going to give to you what is the greatest thing for you. What is, what is my will for you? But he says, I want you to ask. It's so important. It's part of that building of relationship with God. Last week, we talked about the third aspect, and that is faith. That we encounter God through faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For those who please God must come and acknowledge that God is who he says he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently please him. One of the ways in which we encounter God is through faith. And this morning, I want to talk about the fourth of five ways. The fourth of five ways in which we build this relationship with God. And the fourth is simply this, that we take the Bible and we let it change our life. The Bible's intention was to change our life, to help us to understand who God is, but help us then to grow in that relationship with God. 
Listen to what the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed. And that phrase, God-breathed, just simply means that it is a word from God, that God was intricately involved to give us exactly what he wanted us to know about him and his creation and ourselves and all of that. It is God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness. So the man of God, the woman of God, might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, I want you to notice that phrase, training in righteousness. What does that mean, to be trained in righteousness? He just means that the Bible shows us what is right and what is wrong. The Bible shows us what is moral and what is immoral. And God says to us, I want you to get your rights and wrongs, your moral and immoral. I want you to get that from me. I'm the creator of the universe. If anybody understands life, I do. If anybody knows how to live your best life, I do. And I want you to get that from me. Don't get that from the culture. The Bible says over and over, the culture will always lead us astray. The, the culture will always bring death to our life. And I don't mean just physical death, but death before we die. Don't get that from movies. Don't get that from, from television shows or talk radio. Or, don't get that from there. You got to understand that every movie and every television show is contrived. It does not show you the downside of where it wants to lead you, only shows the upside. And everybody begins to join in on this, this great direction. But the people that write those are people, real people that live their lives and usually their lives are not all that great. But yet they're trying to tell us which direction to go. God says, would you let me show you how to live? What is right, what is wrong, what is moral, what is immoral? I, I, I don't want to harp on this, but a, a few weeks ago, I saw an article in a very popular newspaper that is in the state of Texas, and it had a big article on transgenderism. And uh, only people that it quoted, the only people who, who that he asked anything was people that are involved in the lifestyle or, or who are positive about it, never, but it was a bashing Christianity but it never asked anybody that was a Christian anything. It was a bashing of Christianity, uplifting of the LGBTQ. And that's the only people that quoted. But in the article, and, and I thought to myself, and you want us to believe that you're balanced? You want us to believe? No, this is an, this is an editorial piece. It's not a reporting piece. And that's what a whole lot of it's become. But... In the article, the individual that wrote the article said that 25% of this generation that is now coming, children, older children, moving up to teenagers, 25% are now identify with a part of the LGBTQ. I'd never heard that before. What it has been for all of these generations has been about 3%, between one to 3%, and that's all. But in the article, it was just stated as a matter of fact, 25%. I don't know if it's true. He didn't give any documentation in his article. But I thought to myself, okay, if you were a reporter, why didn't you ask questions? You should have asked a question of how is it after all these generations, it's been one to 3% that it's suddenly 25%, if that's true. Why didn't you ask the question? Why didn't you find the answer? 
There were so many questions that should have been asked and answered in the article, but it was an opinion piece in reality. I think I can give an idea. There are so many schools, not every school, but there are so many schools, both public and private, that are now discipling children from five years up about being, questioning their sexuality. Nobody ever did that before. And now Disney has come out and said, we're gonna, the movies we now create are going to have some representation of LGBTQ in it, and we're going to be having characters, and we're going to be helping children understand and even consider for themselves entering the lifestyle. And parents who don't pay any attention or maybe have capitulated, just let it go. But I'm going to tell you something. What's going to happen with this generation is there going to be, there's going to be so many broken lives, so many destroyed lives. And God says to us, would you get what is right and wrong, what is moral and immoral from me? I've seen so many Christians who have just, I can't believe what they have accepted in their lives. Now, that's not really the reason for my message today. By the way, the Bible also teaches that we are to treat every single person with love and kindness and respectfulness. That's also in the Bible. Everyone with no exceptions. But that's not the reason for my message. What I'm saying is the Bible has been given to us to change our lives for good. So the question is, how do I get this good stuff out of the Bible for myself? How do I get it for myself? I don't need somebody else teaching me. I don't have to just wait until Sunday shows up. You wouldn't want to wait till Sunday to get fed food. Oh, I'm going to eat once a week. I don't think that's going to work out for you. In the same way, the Bible is our spiritual food. It doesn't work out just to get it on Sunday. How do I get out of the Bible for myself? The words of life. I want to talk to you about that very thing. I want to get very practical today. And at the end of the message, I want to show you the questions you need to ask as you read the Bible that you will get so much out of it. But here's the first point I want to make. We need to read the Bible to gain information. To gain information. And I want to lay out a a challenge to our whole church. Everybody that that is with us online, everybody in person, I want to give a challenge to every one of us. That in the first three months of 2023, we read through the New Testament. Did you know you can read through the New Testament if you'll read like 15 minutes a a day? 15 minutes a day doesn't mean a chapter a day. It means 15 minutes a day. If you read for 15 minutes a day, every day for 90 days, you will read from Matthew all the way to the book of Revelation. I want to challenge us to do it, but here's what I'm going to do. I know that January is 40 days away, but I'm giving you a head start because we all know there's going to be days it doesn't work out for us. So I'm going to give you a head start. And I'm asking, would you start now? And by the end of March 31st, all of us read the New Testament together. Oh, I'm already reading some saying, great. Add this to what you're doing. But let's all read the New Testament together. I'm going to tell you, by the time you get through the New Testament, you will know so much that you did not know about God and about his creation, about us and what God intended. And I want to challenge all of us that I'll do it with you. And I'm asking you, would you do it with me? And let's read through the New Testament. I'm actually starting today. 
I'm going to start over in the book of Matthew, and I'm going to go to the end of Revelation. And I encourage you, come and join me. And as we are doing this, I want to recommend something else. If you use a hard copy Bible, then set it by the table where you have your favorite chair or by your bedside. And when you've got five minutes, 10 minutes, 15, 20 minutes, however much time you have that you can give, use that time and read, keep on reading. Put a little marker there where you left off and start there the next day and keep on reading. And it will be amazing what happens to you. But there is another thing I wanna ask you to do. If it's a hard copy, if it's all on your smartphone, well, you do your own thing with that, that's great. If it's a, if it's, if it's a hard copy that you're gonna use, I recommend that you also get a, 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 a notebook, just a small little notebook the size of a book, and that you begin on somewhere and you identify. God shows you in this passage that you're reading today something new about him. Write it down and date it and put the passage of scripture. Go that direction. And hey, if you are a love history like me, why don't you make a photocopy of a map when you're in the gospels, the map of the life of Jesus and follow. So when he goes to a new town, you see where that town is and the distance and all that. Now, there are always people that say to me, I don't need to read the Bible and learn about God. I can learn about God and nature. And you know what? To a degree, you're exactly right. And in fact, in Psalm 19, verse one, it says that the heavens declare the glory of God. That word glory means the, the nature, the characteristics of God. And it does. It shows us how powerful God is. It shows us how organized he is, how detailed he is. It shows us that God takes a long time to do what he does. It shows us a whole lot of things about God, but it will come to an end and you still, there's so much more that you could learn about God and you and the purpose of life and all this. And God chose to reveal himself in written form in a library that is called the Bible. The collection of all these books that that he inspired to be written so that we would better understand him. So if you really want to know God, if you really want to understand life, you're going to get it out of God's word. So I'm going to encourage you, would you take this challenge with me to the stories? The Bible isn't all stories, but it's God's stories. Each one of those stories are therefore a reason to tell us more about the heart of God. The Bible says we can know the heart of God, the mind of God, and we learn it through the stories of the people in the Bible. The facts, the teaching passages, the events, all these things are intended to open our eyes about God. Every time you open the Bible to look for something about God that you did look for something about God that you didn't know before. Every time. Every day in this challenge, look for something you didn't know before. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 says it this way, "My people are damaged. It's my people." God is saying, "My people, those who know me are damaged because they have a lack of knowledge about God." George uh, Barna Agency does um, polls and national polls and surveys and that sort of thing. And, and oftentimes, usually it is about, some, about religious things and about Christianity. And in a, a, a survey a few years ago, it surveyed Americans about what we know about God from the Bible, what we know. And what it discovered is 62% of Americans said this sentence, 
God helps those who help themselves is from the Bible. And I guarantee you there's a bunch in this room. Of course that's from the Bible. I don't know what verse it is, but it's somewhere in there. But actually the Bible doesn't say that. Benjamin Franklin said that. Actually, the Bible says God helps those who trust in him. Learning to trust him means to obey him. God will be right there for you. There, in the survey, it also showed that one half of all Americans did not know the name of the town where Jesus was born. Seriously? All these Christmases? Do you not hear all these Christmas songs in the malls and everywhere else? You don't hear the songs? You don't, you know, what, the nativity? You, what, are, are you kidding me? How many of you know what town Jesus was born in? How many, well, of course you do. It's Nazareth, right? Oh, oh no, wait a minute. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, that's it. It's Bethlehem. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, what do, you, what do we sing this? It's in Bethlehem. And did you know that over 50% of Americans said that Sodom and Gomorrah is husband and wife? Really? And some of you say, okay, is there something wrong with that? What I'm saying to you is we need to learn more of the Bible. And if you're going to be an overcoming Christian, you gotta start reading the Bible. And I'm challenging you to begin reading the New Testament. You can read all the way through the New Testament in just 90 days if you get 15 minutes, but I'm giving you 40 extra days. And start with me right now in reading through the New Testament. And when you learn new things, we're reading for information, you learn new things, jot it down on that notebook of yours, date it and put the passage. There's a second thing, use the Bible to gain perspective. To gain perspective. Uh, the word perspective just means seeing life from God's point of view. We see life from our point of view. But the Bible actually gives a whole lot of information about how to see God life from God's point of view. Have you ever asked the question, why is this happening to me? Why, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? Why is this other person that I know and love going through what they're going through? Have you ever asked the question why I'm telling you I've asked it a million times? Well, guess what? The Bible actually gives us the answers of why. Not about every question, but about a whole lot of our questions. I've used this illustration before, uh, but I love it because it just really helps with my understanding of the idea of perspective. Let's imagine that there is this big, tall mountain that you're going to, you wanna to get to the top of the mountain, and yay, there is a two-lane road that goes up that mountain. Then go straight up, it goes around and around and around, gets you to the top of the mountain, like Pikes Peak. Kathy and I have been on the top of Pikes Peak together, and we did it because we drove up. And many mountains now have roads that go around and around and get to the top. It's a two-lane road, most of them, two-lane roads that are very narrow. One of the lanes is to go up, one of the lanes is to come back down. Because once you get up there, you want to come back down. The problem is these two-lane roads are narrow and you're going up and of course, you're gonna get behind a slow poke driver. Is there anything more frustrating in life than be, but be, to be behind a slow poke driver? 
Oh, I'm so worried about driving, I'm gonna go very, very slow. Let me just tell you, on, on four-lane roads, there is a lane that is slow-poke driver lane. It's on the right-hand side. We need new education in the world. It is on the right-hand side, and that's for all the slow-pokes. You get in that lane, and everybody will please you. They will go so slow. But the left-hand lane is for people like me that want to get somewhere as fast as I can without speeding, of course, but get there as quickly as I can. But what if you are on this two-lane road and you are going all the way to the top of this mountain and you get behind a slow-poke driver? You want to pass that driver, but you don't dare do it because there is a curve just up ahead. You don't know. Maybe there's a car coming back down and you get about halfway in this attempt and you crash and everybody dies. So you're nervous, you ought to be. But it just so happens that you have a friend who happens to be in a helicopter at the very same time. Well, this would be quite an event, wouldn't it? And there is your friend in a helicopter and he is up there or she is up there and you've got this telephone call going on and you say, I wanna go past this slowpoke driver, but I don't know when to go. And the person in the helicopter says, okay, I've already seen around the corner, you can go now, nobody's coming. And I'm telling you, you take off. And why? Because you have information of a different perspective, of someone who knows what you cannot know by yourself. And God says, I want to be that in your life. All these questions you have in your life, all these problems, these decisions, I want you to look to me and I'll guide you. I'll guide you. I will give you a different perspective of life that will help you. Psalm 103 verse 7 says, the people of Israel, they're out there in the wilderness for 40 years, the people of Israel knew the acts of God. Well, of course they did. They could see all the acts of God out there in the wilderness. But Moses understood God's ways. He understood God on a deeper level because he understood the wise because God told him, but I'm telling you, you and I have more information available on God's perspective than Moses ever had. We have this Bible. And Moses would have loved to have known what we know. God says, would you take me seriously and start reading my word? I will give you perspective you never dreamed. I will answer the wise and direct your life and help you. Come and take the challenge. To get perspective, we're always looking for God's explanation in the passage, and that's what will happen to you. Jesus oftentimes would stop whatever he just did and say to his disciples, this is the why. Many times Paul would stop and say, and this is the why. And many times in in passages in the scripture, God would stop and say, and here is the why. And it's amazing what you will learn. So here's what I'm saying. Get that notebook out and every day, as you are going through this new passage, going through the New Testament, when you see an explanation of why, be looking for it. Write down the why and put the date and put this passage of scripture. By the time you get to the end of the New Testament, you will be smarter than anybody in your class, smarter and wiser than anybody at your job, smarter and wiser than anybody in your neighborhood because you will have seen the mind of God and the heart of God. And for maybe the first time in your life, you'll begin to understand the whys in life. 
Over time, you will be very surprised how much insight into your life you will gain. Here's a third thing. Use the Bible to develop convictions. We're getting information. We're getting perspective. And number three, we are developing convictions. Convictions are the beliefs that shape our behavior. A conviction is something that I believe so strongly that it determines the way I act. A belief determines my behavior. That's a conviction. Now, I'm not talking about opinions. We can all have different opinions and argue about opinions. But with convictions, you're willing to die for them. This is more than an opinion. This is a conviction that God has put into your heart. You know what I've discovered? It's not the smartest people or the richest people or the most educated people are the most talented people that make the greatest difference in life. I'm really thankful for that because I'm not the smartest and I'm not the richest and I'm not the most talented. But it's not those people that make the greatest difference in lives. The people that have made the greatest impact in this world for good or bad were those who had the deepest convictions. The bad guys who impacted the world for worst had the deepest convictions. Too bad for that because they hurt us. But the people that made the greatest good, the impact in the world for good, had the deepest convictions. If you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. And can I tell you, I'm, as a pastor, and over all these years, I'm stunned at how many Christians have fallen for things that were wrong because either they didn't know the Bible or they didn't take the Bible seriously. Because they got their rights and wrongs from culture, they got their rights and wrongs from wherever they got them, and they went the wrong way. And God is saying, would you take me seriously? Even in the hard issues of life, I can show you the right way to go. I can help you. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 14 says, solid food, that, that phrase just means the deeper things from the Bible, is for the mature, the mature Christian, and what is the mature Christian, or who is it? Who by constant use, meaning they're studying the Bible, they're reading through the New Testament, they're studying the Bible, the, the, the scripture of God, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Doesn't come naturally, doesn't come automatically. What comes automatically is, is getting swept up in the flow. That's what comes naturally. But those who have spent time in God's word and, and have, have seen the, the information and the perspective and, and built convictions, those are the ones who can distinguish from, the, from God's word the difference between right and wrong, good from evil. I, I don't know who these, well, 
Someone told me at the end of the first service that these people are the secret service, but I admit, that was news. But maybe, I don't know. But the people that track down counterfeit money, the people that do that, did you know they are not trained uh, about what counterfeit bills look like? They, they aren't trained for that because it's a never-ending thing. What they are trained about is what the real currency looks like. They are trained at how does it feel, what is the kind of paper, what are all the intricacies, they got it all down. So you know why? They are trained of what the real stuff looks like, why? Because the moment they feel or see something that's counterfeit, they, they know it. And here's what God is saying to you and me. If you will learn my word, the moment you see something that arises in culture, you'll know the answer, whether it's right or wrong. You'll know it because you know the truth so well. So school yourself on the truth of God's word. The goal of God is that we take on the values of God. This was the whole reason for the series that we did last May and June entitled Refocus seeing moral issues through God's eyes. And I wish that ever so often go back and at least listen to the first two messages because we talked about the difference between a naturalistic worldview, which is the worldview of the world, and a biblical worldview, and they're clashing, and why they are, and how so many Christians have actually a mixture of worldviews inside them and don't know it. And that's why even Christians can go the wrong way. And to be looking for that. And what is a biblical worldview? And then we looked at six different moral issues. We, we looked at sexuality. We, we looked at poverty. We looked at abortion. We looked at immigration. We looked at racism. We looked at religious freedom. And what the Bible teaches. No politics, just Bible. No politics, just Bible. And we looked at what God's word says. The Bible can actually guide us in the right way. It'll build convictions in our life for what God says is right and what God says is wrong. Here's, here's the next thing. Use the Bible then to change your life. D.L. Moody made the statement, the Bible was not just given to us for knowledge. The Bible was given to us to change our lives. And that is the absolute truth. Who is going to be the authority of your life? Do you see, all of us have an authority in our life. Every single one of us have an authority in our life. All of us, even if we don't know it. Maybe the authority is just culture and it's just going the flow of, of the river of culture and that's our authority because I just want to get along with everybody else. So that becomes my authority. But God says, if you'll let me be your authority, I will actually show you to have, how to have your best life. To not get swept up by the wrong thing and go in the wrong direction, have your life totally, totally destroyed. I can show you how to go the right way. If you'll let me become the authority God is saying of his life and of our lives. And notice what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 24 and 26. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon a rock. But there are other people who hear God's word but don't put them into practice. They don't become convictions in their life. And they're like the foolish man who builds his house on the sand. 
And then the storms come because the storms always come. And the storms keep coming and keep coming and they keep coming. The storms come. But Jesus said, those who built their house on the rock, meaning the word of God, meaning what Jesus was teaching, when the storms come, they will be safe. But those that build it on the sand, their, their house will be wiped away. And you see so many people whose lives are so screwed up and messed up and so destroyed. And Jesus is saying there's a reason for it. Because it built their life on the sand and they ignored my word. Here is the goal, to know the word, to understand the word, to believe the word, and then do the word. And here then is the last thing. How do I get it for myself? How do I get the truths of the Bible for myself, at my own home, beside my own bed, by, at my easy chair? How do I learn what God has taught? Have you noticed how big this Bible is? Have you noticed that there are passages that are confusing? How do I do this? Where do I start? How do I get it going? You start in Matthew in our challenge and you go all the way to the book of Revelation. But here is the great way to do it. It's called the sword method. And it's called the sword method because the Bible says in Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, that for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, the joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, meaning it goes past our excuses and shows us what's really true. It goes past our lies and shows us what's really true. It shows us what's true about us and how to fix it, how to correct it, how to get back on the right road. It is like a double-edged sword. And so that's why it's called the sword method. You can look up the sword method, Google it, and you'll see all the details about it. It shows you how to incorporate the Bible into your everyday life. So there, the key to it are questions, and I'm giving you the questions when I add one more to it. When you're reading the passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 1 and 2, whatever, the passage, what you're getting started, ask the question, what does this tell me about God that I didn't already know? What does this tell me about God? And you write it down and you date it and put the passage. Second of all, what does this teach you about you? About who you are and what God thinks about you? Third, is there a sin or an action to avoid? Fourth, is there an example to follow or a command to obey? Fifth, is there a promise to trust God for? You just go through the questions and ask the passage. How do I apply this to my life? And the the seventh one I wish I'd have put down. And that is simply... What is the why that I have discovered in this passage? What is the perspective about God that I've discovered in this passage? So let me tell you something. You go through the whole New Testament and you ask the passages questions. You don't have to ask every detail, just new things. You ask the passage questions. You write down what you discover. You get to the end of the New Testament, you're going to be stunned. And you know what you also will be? You will now know, I can go anywhere in the Bible, ask these questions. I can get great stuff and understanding that before I didn't know how. Now, the first thing you need is to know Jesus as your Savior. And if you haven't accepted Christ, I wish you would. Those of you online, those of you in purpose, if you have, in, in person, if you haven't given your heart to Christ, I wish you would today. 
it means that you simply come to the place to say, Jesus, you're Lord of my life. You're the boss of my life. And I ask your forgiveness of my sin, and I so believe that Jesus, you rose again from the grave, that I commit my heart and life to you. All this is from Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 and 10. Would you do that today? Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we acknowledge, oh God, we need you. Life is so confusing, so difficult. There's voices everywhere that are telling us the wrong things. And to know the right direction to go is very hard. And so, God, we need you. And we ask, Father, there would be many online and in person today that would make the decision to give their heart and life to Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, I turn my heart to you. Lord, I pray that you would move in hearts today, the people that know you, that care about you, that love you, but, but have never really seriously got involved and connected to your word. And I pray, Father, that going through these things so practical, will help us to begin to understand what is it that I'm trying to get accomplished from God's word, and now I'll ask the right questions and start jotting down the answers. Give me information and perspective and deep, deep convictions to guide my path. Father, move in our heart, change our life through this Bible, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.